Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. David Raiklin is a producer, composer, songwriter, host, crowdfunder. He began studying keyboard and composing at the age of five and wrote and directed and scored his first film at age nine. David studied composition at USC and Cal Arts, later teaching at those universities. Among his mentors are Oscar winner John Williams and Pulitzer Prize winner Mel Powell. And David works for Fox, Sony, Disney, Sprint, Mattel, Warner Brothers, and PBS, in addition to many independent producers. He scored hundreds of films, television shows, video games, and live events, winning multiple awards, including an American Music Center grant, three Telly Awards and gold medal, and now an Emmy for the film Mia, A Dancer's Journey. And Carol, I understand that David's been donating music composition to your film grant for many years, right? Yes, he has, Claire. David's been donating, and he's been doing an incredible job creating music for our grant winners. And thank you, Dave, for joining us today. It's a total pleasure to be here. You guys have a, a wonderful, informative, and entertaining program. So uh, thanks for having me on. Great. Well, it's let's get into um, music for films. This is the first thing I, I love so much to learn about. And many people ask me, um, when is the right time to uh, to interview or to connect with a composer or a songwriter? What do you say about that, David? Well, that's a great question, but first I want to clarify something uh, from the announcement. Uh, Mia, A Dancer's Journey, did just win the Emmy, and the award actually goes to the producers on that project. Uh, uh, Brenda McCusick, uh, Kate Johnson, uh, Mia Ramos, and uh, Ted Sprague. But I was very fortunate to participate in that project and I actually started on it very early in the uh, creation of the, the uh, project that uh, eventually went on to win the award. Uh, for uh, perspective, uh, I started working on that documentary about six years ago. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, that's pretty early on in in the process of uh, development. Although even at that point, it was a, a wonderful and innovative project. Sometimes I'm brought in much, much closer to the delivery date. And by that, I mean sometimes just a few weeks before things have to be delivered, I'll uh, first hear about the project and have to get everything done in a hurry. But... Uh, it's really uh, when the producer, when the director is ready for music, that's the right time to bring in the composer. And that can range from when the project is uh, still in development. For example, I've uh, 
done a lot of pitch reels. I don't know if people uh, know what those are. They're kind of like an advertisement for what the project is going to be that you can show to potential investors or uh, producing partners to give them a sense of what the project could be. And I can come in and do music and sound design and help bring in other elements uh, to actually get the, the whole project going. And, of course, if it's a musical, then uh, that's a whole other kind of experience because the songs have to be written before you can shoot the film and sometimes even before you can finish writing the script. So uh, the right time to bring in music is when you think you're ready for it or even just a little bit before then because with more time, there can usually be more quality. So, uh, great. I love that. And uh, thank you for being so persistent and sticking with the film Mia all these years because they won our grant. And then she ran into financial problems. A lot of filmmakers do. Had to go raise the money and then come back and shoot a little and raise money. And you were always there for her. That's fabulous. Thank you, David, for that. uh, You're welcome. Well, you know, your grant... Uh, the Dean Grant is one of the great tools in helping a filmmaker get from point A to point B. Because it's usually like, uh, it's not A to B, it's usually A to Z. And if you can, you know, just find the, that bit of funding that will get you from, you know, uh, Q to R. Yay! It's a triumph. <laughs> right. <clears throat> well, um, I usually what I have seen you do is that people uh, contact you about music and then you go meet them and you and you sit and talk to them and that's how uh, the two of you connect and then you decide if you want to work together if there's synergy or if you understand the film and they understand your capabilities or I don't know what goes on in these meetings I think it's really the kind of you to take the time to go meet or interview and talk to filmmakers. So tell us what you usually do in that first meeting. Well, the first meeting is that time when you're getting to know the other person. And it's really not so important that you get a lot of work done then as you see if you're kind of on the same page. So uh, I try and just listen and ask questions to get clear about what the story is and what the filmmaker's goal is. Uh, If everyone is telling the same story, the film will work. So that's kind of what the first meetings are about, is my trying to understand what the story is, who the audience is, what their, their hopes and dreams are. And from there, we can figure out what it'll take to get there. Well, that you were so spot on. If, if everyone's telling the same story, um, I, one of my favorite films is Somewhere in Time, and I spoke to the director and said, how did you put so much love on the screen with that film? And he said, it wasn't me, Carol. It was the vision, and it was the, uh, the unit. We worked as a unit, the producer, the director, the cinematographer, the music composer. We were one unit with one vision, and that's why it was so powerful. So um, that's what sure. it's all about, isn't it? 
everybody's telling the same story. It's clearly put. So um, yep. let's talk about how how this works. Um, you compose, for example, if it was for a feature, you compose the music based on the script, or uh, how do you know what kind of music they really need in the film? If they come to you and say, you have to tell me, I don't know, I'm only the director, I'm only the writer, but what we want your input. Great question. That happens all the time. Uh, there's basically three kinds of uh, projects from that technical standpoint. There's ones where everything is clear and there's no uh, preconceptions about what the music should be. Then there's ones where the uh, director, the producer, the uh, financiers, whoever has a say in it, the actors, uh, everyone will have ideas about what they think the music should be like. And then the third type is where you come into a project that's been temp, that is where music has already been synchronized to the action on the screen. And uh, each of those three situations are a little bit different. My favorite is when there's a clean slate and we can just look at what the story is, how well everything is working, and what's needed to take it to the next level. But sometimes uh, people have very clear ideas of what they they want in a particular section, and then, you know, I, I do that. Uh, if they want it to sound like Composer X or Pop Song Y, then... Uh, that's what we do. That's part of the job is to be able to write and produce music of all different kinds and styles and conform it to fit the timing of the movie. So those projects also can go very smoothly and people get exactly what they want and even uh, a wee bit more. Then uh, on the ones where uh, there's uh, a lot of different opinions about uh, how things should go, it's uh, the composer's job to try and synthesize all of those different points of view into something that satisfies everyone and elevates the film. Right. Well, I, I've seen that so many films that you've done, like Heist, uh, Who Stole the American Dream and How Do We Get It Back? I mean, you, uh, that sure. music really supported the information in the film, and he use that clip almost through the whole film, right? Well, yes. Uh, that did have a complete score, but there were things that they liked more than others, and so we ended up, uh, you know, uh, using certain styles and um, musical elements over and over, but they were conformed to fit each individual scene. Uh, documentaries can have... Uh, music throughout. In fact, that's kind of been a trend in uh, uh, recent times to uh, score the entire documentary. And in that way, it becomes more of uh, storytelling. So uh, Heist, which uh, actually made the New York Times Film Critics uh, Top Ten list, which was uh, uh, a wonderful honor for the, the 
filmmakers uh, was really told like it was a thriller. And that was the direction that I received from uh, the, the producers, was that they wanted this to feel like a thriller. So that's how I scored it, as if it were a, uh action suspense thriller. It just had a lot of interviews in it. That's wonderful. I had never realized that because it does build. Momentum builds and builds until you get, oh, my gosh, you hit the aha moment. Right. It makes sense. Well, but documentaries may be hard to work on be, for a music composer because a lot of times when you come in, uh, they don't, they're not quite sure how it's going to end. Um, they think they know, but you never know with a documentary until you finally are, turn the camera off and say, that's it, I've got the story. So <clears throat> how do you uh, work with the filmmaker who's doing a doc and only knows what she has so far in her storyline. Well, from what I've seen, documentaries are made in editing. And that's true to a major degree in any film. But really, in, in documentaries, the script seems to come after it's been edited. In other words, narration and, you know, uh, which clips of the uh, interviews are, are used are decided in the process of editing. So uh, what I can do to help that kind of project if I'm brought in early is that I can set the tone and help support the emotion and the key moments. Also, music can play many, many different roles, including help set time and place, so I can help do that, especially for uh, a documentary that covers uh, a lot of time, uh, like a whole lifetime or travels around the world. Music can help ground the audience in each new location, in each new era. But nothing final can be done until things are locked, and that's true for any movie. It's really important that every word, every bat of an eyelash be synchronized to the music to get the maximum emotional effect. Exactly. Well, and, uh, David, you came to my house one time. We had a party, and brought, you brought a clip of one of Hitchcock's films. I think it was um, where she dies with the knife in the shower, the shower scene. Oh, yes, uh, yes. That was a great party. <laughs> Yeah, yes, we played it was. A, a bit of second. And you showed her driving away after she'd stolen the money and driving this car, and there was no music. <clears throat> you took the music off so we could see the the film. So she's looking in the mirror, and she's lo- looking at the road, and she's looking in the mirror and looking at the road, and we think, well, what's that all about? But then when you added the music for us to see it the second time, we felt the emotion, which was her tension, her fright. She was afraid, and you didn't know that until you had the music to it. So <clears throat> so music sets emotions. So that would be, give us some range of emotions that music can enhance or cause. Yes, that's another role that music can play is to show the audience what can't be said or can't be seen. 
like the thoughts and feelings of characters. And this can get quite uh, intricate because people can have mixed feelings and mixed emotions and the music needs to enhance and make all of them clear to the audience. And to some extent, the actor can can do that. But sometimes it's actually, especially in a film where, you know, things are um, made 60 feet high and there may be elaborate production values that are, are spectacular. Sometimes being a little more subtle is better. And instead of um, the actor trying to portray everything in a big way, they internalize things more and become more subtle. And then the music can also subtly play off that. So that the audience gets taken along on the journey, but they don't feel like they're being bludgeoned. <laughs> right. Right. Well, what, can you explain what tone is in music? What does that mean? Uh, say that again, tone? Yes. Well, tone is one of those little words that has many meanings. Tone can refer in film, in TV, and also uh, video games and even concerts, to the attitude, how the whole project is being approached. Like a comedy might have one tone, a drama would have another tone. That's a big uh, contrast. But uh, the difference between a romantic comedy and a dark comedy is uh, there's still comedic in tone, but there's shades of meaning. So uh, that's what we will mean in a dramatic sense. The tone is kind of the, the general attitude of the film. And then there's the musical tone, which is the quality of the particular sound. For instance, the difference between the, the tone of a soprano voice or an electric bass guitar. Those have very different tones. So this is um, where the same word has different meanings depending on the context. Okay. All right, because I know that um, the, the other way that you set a feeling, a mood for the film is through the color. So I know from the colorist that I've Met that they they set the tone in the color of the film, and you set the tone in the music of the film. So that's Absolutely. why when you walk out of the um, uh, right movie, you walk out and you feel like you've um, been there. You you feel like you have really had an uh, an experience when the when it is a good film. Yes. Uh Tone in the dramatic sense is something that um, a director can use with people in every department. You can talk to makeup and lighting and the uh, color correction and actors and, of course, the composer about the tone that they're looking for and the tone of uh, that moment or the, the whole film. And that's a way to help get everyone uh, telling the same story. And sometimes the tone is found right away, and sometimes it's a process of discovery. 
And that's one of the things where we can uh, try music with different tones with the picture and see which fits best. Sort of like adjusting your color knob until you get just the right tone. Okay, well, um, <clears throat> I know you have a clip of music from the film Mia, so <clears throat> I'm dying to hear it, and I really would like it if you give us an idea of what the tone of the movie was and uh, what what emotion is going on, what's really happening at the moment in the film, and let us listen to that music. Thanks, um we're starting out with the end titles, so it's a kind of recapitulation of the story that's gone before, and we hit several of the highlights. The uh, tone of Mia, A Dancer's Journey, uh, which, by the way, is uh, still being broadcast uh, around the country on PBS stations, so uh, if you haven't seen it yet, it, it will be coming out soon again uh, in uh, reprise broadcasts. The Great. story covers uh, a very long and eventful life of a dancer who was born in a town where they had no dance school. And by the time she was 18, she was running the National Theater Company. But then there were political problems and she was banned for life. That wasn't a problem. She moved to Paris and became a movie star. But then World War II happened, and that was a problem. And so she and her colleagues had to emigrate to the United States, where they toured all over the country, introducing many communities to professional dance for the first time in their history. And that's just the beginning of this amazing life story. So we have to go through many different tones. And uh, what we're going to start with is the main Mia theme, which needed to be very dramatic and emotional and eloquent and uh, have a sense of timeless classical poise to it, just like the prima ballerina roles that she was. But because her life had so much tragedy as well as so much triumph, there's also uh, shades of, uh, of darkness in it. Uh, then I think we go to some traveling music where uh, she and her colleagues are off touring and uh, having adventures. Uh, then we have the uh, coming to America and the, the new dramatic chapter in her life. Uh, and I think we end up with her uh, career in Hollywood music where everything is uh, lush and, and glamorous, but uh, always... Uh, with both hope and tragedy. Oh, great. All right. So, Claire, can, can you play that clip for us? Sure. Here we go.
Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, all praise to Kate Johnson, the director, who and uh, Maria Ramos, the producer, who helped guide that uh, composition and brought me such a wonderful story to write music for. Wow. Well, I could tell when she was dancing and when she was traveling. I mean, thank you for giving us those cues. That was great. Okay, well, let's get into the hardcore of the music business. Let's talk about um, uh, budgets for music and what are the best practices for filmmakers. Uh, what could they? Is there a percentage of the basic um, cost of the film, the budget that you would put to music? Uh, and which do you, uh, you know, I, I hear filmmakers tell me sometimes it might be better for them to have original music than to try to pay the fees for existing music. Yes, that's for sure. You'll always get more bang for your buck. You'll get a much better value with original custom music than on licensing pre-existing famous music because the people who are in the music publishing business know full well the value of their songs and generally do not make exceptions. Uh, on the other hand, if you catch a rising star before they're famous, then as they become more famous and their work becomes better recognized, so too does your film and the elements in your films become more famous and better recognized. So for the filmmaker on a budget, it's almost always a smarter move to find a, a rising star, something that is original to their film. Not only will it fit the film better, but it will uh, have a longer future. Uh, licensing famous songs is almost a, a surefire way to heartbreak. And even big, uh, well-established, well-financed productions can't license all the songs that they want. So uh, I know that yeah, you love your favorite songs, and I love your favorite songs too, but if we can put our budget and our creative energy into making something custom for the film, that will probably work better. On the other hand, if we have the budget to uh, license Taylor Swift, then uh, great. You know, uh, we'll uh, we'll license uh, Taylor Swift if, uh, if she'll uh, agree to it, and uh, that also will uh, certainly mean that you have enough money to do a bang up job on the rest of the score. And that's uh, the other side about uh, song licensing and score is that if you put all your money of your budget into licensing songs, then that doesn't leave much for the score. And it's almost impossible to do justice to your story by only using existing songs. Because hopefully there's something unique and special about the story that you're telling that's not really in those pre-existing songs that are being chopped up to make what's called a Franken-score. If that's actually what it's called, a Franken-score. And sometimes that's not a bad thing. You know, it can it can work for a while, but 
it's going to be better to put your resources into having enough custom music that it actually supports and elevates the story that you're telling. Uh, classic example of uh, this is uh, my friend Denny Tedesco made a wonderful documentary called The Wrecking Crew. And it's uh, got 105 songs in it, and they're all famous songs. And it took him 20 years to get them all licensed. Oh. And this is a film about the music business. So he didn't really have much choice because the subject of the film was the people who made those songs. But that's the kind of uh, road you're embarking on when you try and license popular songs, especially a number of them. And uh, I do have friends who are in music licensing, and we can help get you the best possible deal if there's a particular piece of music that you uh, just have to have. Uh, we can also find other songs and commission new songs that may be even better suited to your film. So uh, usually there's, there's a good balance there between uh, setting budget aside for licensing songs and budget for the score, because you really want the score to be on uh, par with the quality of the rest of the film. If you spend right. uh, $500,000 on making your visuals look stunning, then why spend 50 cents on music? That's just going to not work. You want to have uh, approximately 3 to 5% of your budget going into music, so the quality of the music can be equal to and maybe at times elevate the quality of the rest of the film. Okay, 3 to 5%. So let's say, well, let's do an easy number. It's a, it's a million-dollar film. Would that mm-hmm. be 50000 Yes, and $50,000 is kind of the... Uh, entry level for uh, what's called uh, union filmmaking or legit filmmaking, where everyone is getting paid a living wage and it's not all being done on favors. Uh, People certainly can make uh, movies for less than that and and with documentaries where, you know, the subjects are in general volunteering their time and where there's not elaborate sets being built, et cetera. You know, there's a lot of things that you save on with a, a, a documentary. Uh, you can uh, do a really nice documentary for around maybe, uh, well, you probably know better than I, but I'd say like $150,000. Well, yes, that's that's hard work. I'd say the average is more like 200, well, let's say 200000 200, Yes, 200000 yeah, there are 250000 around that range. So yeah. if uh, we're uh, looking at that kind of budget, then it's about 10000 for the score. And that's actually close to what you're going to be paying the, the editor and, and for other things. So it's right along in line with other post-production uh, services, visual effects, and, and all that. But with music, you get such bang for your buck. That's you know, That's the real difference in how you can leverage your music budget is that 
you can tell a story very effectively with just pictures and music. And if you go to a summer blockbuster, you know, these movies where they've literally invested hundreds of millions of dollars and you have great artists and great resources, there are many sections that are told with just pictures and music because that's a, a wonderful, highly effective way to tell a story. So if right. you're putting 3% of your budget into the music, but it's helping tell whole sections of your film, then you've got a really good deal. Exactly. Well, uh, thank you, David. This makes a lot of sense. Let's um, and ask you about buying. Uh, how do you buy music rights? There are two two rights that you have to buy, right? Can you explain that to us? Yes. Now, this gets into a whole big uh, area of law and entertainment business that can still be mysterious even after you've worked for a long time making movies. So this is just like a uh, couple of uh, the highlights. Music is considered to be both a service and a product. And that means that legally it's defined as both a service and a product. So that means that there's two elements of ownership or copyright that have to be addressed. The service part is like being a writer. A writer writes a script. A script is not a movie. It's a blueprint for making a movie, but it's not a movie. Writing a piece of music, for instance, writing a song, is not the same thing as recording the song. That's a finished product, and those are two different things. And the term for those are uh, synchronization rights. That's the right to take the underlying composition, the piece of music in the abstract, and put it in a movie. And then there's the mechanical license, and that's taking the actual physical recording, the performance, and putting that in the movie. And it turns out that there's really good reasons for doing things that way. And this is something that a composer with experience can help guide you in how to use uh, those rights in a cost-effective way. Because, for example, there are times where uh, it's uh, better to just get a sync license and not worry about the master license. Or uh, sometimes we can get... uh, that the master donated that we have to uh, pay for the sync license. And uh, the same thing also goes for uh, every element of the, of the score. There's plenty of things that we can get free, and then there's things that will, will cost. And that's something that filmmakers, we can discuss early on, so we get our resources placed where they're needed the most. Exactly. Well, it's my understanding that the it's there's this law that all boats rise and sink together. So, in other words, if you needed music from three different companies, maybe Sony, Universal, and Fox, if if you could get it for two thousand from the first two, but the third company said no, I want five, then you have to pay five thousand to each company. You have to pay the highest price. Is that right? Well, yeah, that's called uh, Most Favored Nations, 
and now we're starting to get into the uh, deep details of entertainment contract law as it pertains to music licensing. And yes, if you're dealing with known entities like uh, big music publishers or well-established artists, then they will want to have, in fact, their team will insist that they be treated equally well. Most favored nation means everybody is treated equally well. So you can't get a deal on one uh, piece of music and not get uh, an equal deal on another piece of music. So everybody has to play ball, and if there's one holdout, then that can be uh, a game changer for all of the other deals. And yes, that really does happen in the real world, where you're licensing a number of songs, and uh, let's say you're licensing 10 songs, and one person or one entity is being difficult in the negotiation. That now has a snowball effect and affects all the other negotiations. You're free from that problem when you're working with a composer or with a commissioned songwriter. You've got to deal with them. The parameters of the deal are clear from the get-go, and nothing is going to change because Sue or Joe, later down the line, doesn't want to have that same deal, and now everybody's deal has to be revised. And so that's another positive of uh, dealing with original music in uh, both songs and score is that you know what the deal is going to be. Right. Well, David, um, you were kind enough to give us the uh, intro music. I like Western, I like country Western, so you gave us the intro music to our show, this blog talk show, and I want you to tell our filmmakers about your intro and outro music, because sometimes... Uh, in some instances, like for blogs or for uh, websites or uh, all kinds of things, you can use that. Oh, yes. Well, now you're talking about something really important that I think every artist working in the 21st century has to be aware of is branding and identity. When you have a particular image that is the image of you or whatever project that you're working on, that needs to be powerful and singular image that you can use everywhere so it's easy for people to recognize you and whatever you're doing in the crowd. And musical branding is another terrific way of doing that. You can have a theme song or logo music. I mean, when you turn on your computer, there's music playing, and there's a reason for that. It helps brand the, the phone or the computer roll of whatever piece of electronics. So uh, this is something that everyone can benefit from. It was my great honor and a, and a privilege to be asked to write theme music for the art of film funding. It was uh, great fun to do, and I knew what kind of music that you wanted, and uh, we came up with some candidate uh, possibilities of uh, were um, mostly acoustic guitar and, and uh, country, and this is the one that you like. And it's live music, so uh, it has that human touch, which is uh, so important in 
the arts and in filmmaking in particular is uh, having that human connection and, uh, and knowing people and, and what they like and what they don't like. And you like country music, and uh, so we gave you some hopefully really good quality country music. Oh, you did? We love it. Thank you so much. Uh, but we now well, I want to know more about how people can find you, David, because you're such a jewel in your music and your quality of the product that you create is dynamic. And so I'm sure people listening would like to know more about um, your website, your email, or cell, or anything you want to give us. Oh, sure. Well, uh, you can uh, find my website, David Raiklin, that's my name, D-A-V-I-D-R-A-I-K-L-E-N.com. And you can get contact and also uh, click on music to hear samples. Uh, you can also reach me at uh, my email, david at spacecommandstudios.com. David at spacecommandstudios.com. And uh, you can also like me, friend me on Facebook. Uh, again, it's just my name, David Raiklin, R-A-I-K-L-E-N. As soon as you start typing in R-A-I-K, my name will come up. Okay. So in closing, can you give us some tips, um, some pearls of wisdom for our listeners? Well, uh, in the end, it's always love. Money is a tool. Love is the answer. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, you'll uh, be able to get your film made and your dreams come true if the people that you're working with are doing it because they love what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That is the truth, David. That is the truth. It all... <laughs> down to love and if you love what you're doing it shows on the screen in every aspect of the film right absolutely so people who are creating a a film and have some of their budget money and are starting to uh, let's say for a feature are catching people and have some production funds said that now is the they wanted to, it's a good time to call you and discuss with you what they're, they're looking to do with their film to get a, uh, an idea of your services because you compose, you can compose a symphony. I mean, you compose for full orchestration, right? Yes. Well, I'm a virtuoso composer. I'm from that school where it's possible for me to do something that in virtually any style of music. For example, on uh, the Space Command series where I'm both a producer and a composer, we needed, in my opinion, to have a song to finish off the emotional arc at the end of the movie. So I collaborated with one of my singer-songwriter friends, Marina V, and she and I uh, wrote a song which is clearly a pop song and would appeal to her listeners. And then we also created a cinematic version of it that fits better within the context of the film. And that's just 
part of the, the job of uh, being uh, a good film composer or a part of the, the art of filmmaking is both popular and fine art. It's both uh, esoteric and mass appeal. So yes, I've written uh, operas. In fact, I was commissioned to write an opera by the uh, Department of the Interior for the Lewis and Clark Bicentennial uh, called A Voyage of Discovery, and uh, that went very well. Uh, I used a lot of Native American music, uh, uh, inspiration, as well as uh, folk music, pop music from the uh, early days of America. Um, but uh, last year I worked on a cute little uh, romantic comedy where the, it needed a, a hip-hop dance score, and, and that's what we wrote because that's what it was uh, going to do the best job of helping tell that story. I like collaborating with other artists, including other musicians, as well as uh Filmmakers, so uh, we need a particular uh, kind of sound, a particular style of music. Then that's what we'll do. But yeah, there's always something uh, special about doing timeless music that will still appeal to people and still seem fresh and timeless in 20 years. Absolutely right. Absolutely. Thank you so much, David, for giving us all this information and spending this uh, time with Claire and I. We sincerely appreciate it. Yes. Well, I'm always thrilled to be a guest on your show. It's uh, a great source of information, and it's always fun to talk with you guys. So, you know, if you have any other uh, questions or um, listeners have comments or uh, questions that we didn't get to on air, uh, please forward them to me. I'm happy to answer them that way, or they can reach me at uh, my email, david at spacecommandstudios.com, or uh, on Facebook. I'm, I'm happy to provide information and guidance. I really want to help your dream uh, reality. Mm-hmm. Thank you. How wonderful. That's what it's all about. Make your dreams become your reality. Thank you, David, and thank you, Claire, for a lovely show. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.